Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, thanks so much for listening. It's uh, every day's an impactful day, and I'm glad you're here today. We know the numbers. They're horrific. The unemployment at 34%. Now 71,000-plus have lost their lives to the coronavirus. Uh, the numbers are there. Uh, today at 4 o'clock, Kaylee McEnany will be holding our second uh, briefing. Kind of things going back to normal there. And the president will meet with the Iowa governor, Kim Reynolds. Got that meat processing problem, and there is... Uh, definitely a food shortage when it comes to meat, and there's some limitations across the country. So these are important issues. But for the most part, there's a big theme out there that the president's trying to move past the coronavirus. He's not. It's impossible. Nobody say he's trying to move past it. What he's trying to do is punctuate it and talk about how things are and can be getting on track. But if we don't do things right, we'll get off track. We'll discuss that uh, this hour with Arthur Herman. He's a military strategist, best-selling author, and he says, I can go back to World War II and strategize the best way domestically to get us through this. He's going to share some of his principles. Then Kevin Brady, one of the smartest numbers guys in Congress, uh, he is a ranking member on Ways and Means from Texas. Texas beginning to reopen at a big breakneck pace. And then my privilege, we always go with Stuart Varney on FBN. There's a lot of jealousy in this world. And obviously, uh, uh, you know, you have a lot of people like Sandra Smith who want to be able to talk to me on television and Ed Henry, who I've met before in person in different times. I'm going to go on with them. And we're going to talk about this story in Texas about a Salah owner doing a week in jail for opening up her doors. Do you believe that? What they say is prematurely and she wouldn't apologize for it. I don't blame her. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. President gave an interview, blue state coronavirus bailouts are unfair to Republicans. First of all, this is not a blue state issue. It's not just Democratic states that have an economic shortfall. Republican states have an economic shortfall. Uh, That is uh, Governor Cuomo. Uh, He and the president trying to be civil. The mayor couldn't say the same thing, but rescue me. That is a cry from the states and Democrats demand from the GOP. The president and Mitch McConnell uh, weigh in and they say, we might do that, but there's going to be some strings attached. And I want things like a payroll tax holiday. Start talking. Number two. The Communist Party leaders feel themselves cornered and they feel that all these calls for investigations, they know that something really wrong is going to be exposed. They know they have no defense. And so therefore, they're acting belligerently. And they are. The Gordon Chang knows a lot about that area. He wrote The Coming Collapse of China, but he didn't predict this, perhaps. China pushes back on the world criticism for the handling of the virus they created within their borders as America's class action lawsuits mount against that country. I want you to hear their defense, and then I want your defense of us. Number one. Thanks to the profound commitment of our citizens, we've flattened the curve. Our country is now in the next stage of the battle, a very safe, phased, and gradual reopening. 
Nice. The fight and the comeback. President moves forward with trepidation, with beating back COVID-19 as more states open up with their fingers crossed and a lot of hope. More businesses return to work in some level and some even return to play. Are you ready? A surprising poll says the majority of Americans are not. And I could not believe this poll. First off, on the task force, and and I'm going to talk to you, you're going to hear from the vice president on this. I had a chance to talk to him yesterday afternoon when this story broke. He's going to weigh in on it. The task force, which has been so lauded with highly rated, I mean, 74% of the American public believes in Anthony Fauci and Dr. Birx. Uh, The task force will begin to be phased down, wound down around Memorial Day and replaced with an unspecified new advisory body as the country tries to move into a phase two, which is going to be a lot about economics and quick action medical teams should we get flare ups or embers come back and the pandemic we know not over. 71,000 people lost their lives. It would be crass to even consider saying it's over, especially when you got thousands of cases popping up each week. But if you do some of the math from what we're learning, as the testing ramps up, if you get this disease, there's a 99.4% chance you will survive and recover, which is good. The president cut one. I think we're looking at phase two and we're looking at other phases. The country's starting to open up. We can't keep our country closed for the next five years. You know, you could say there might be a recurrence and there, there might be. And, you know, most doctors or some doctors say that it, it will happen and it'll be a flame and we're going to put the flame out. We've learned a lot. You know, we've learned a lot about the coronavirus. Uh, we've learned a lot about this hidden enemy. It's a, it's a dangerous enemy. And the president's trying to, well, number one, I have no problem with him being optimistic. We all know there's people in our lives that are very cautious, and we know people that are always leaning forward, the glass is half full. That's the president. Plus, we're in a situation where it doesn't do us any good to sit there and dwell and say, look how bad everything is, because I think by constantly talking about the threats, to say we're out of medical equipment, we're out of respirators, uh, the city will is totally shut down, the naked streets, understandably it's gotten to people's heads, to the point where... This Washington poll, University of Maryland poll, just came out. Opposition to reopening things like the gyms, 78% oppose it. Opposition to opening up restaurants and nail salons, 74% oppose it. 56% say they are comfortable making a trip to the grocery store, though. Why? Because we're used to doing it. 67% say they would be uncomfortable shopping at a clothing store. How does that make sense? 63% of Americans say they are either very or somewhat worried about getting the virus. I understand that. 36% say they're not worried about getting the virus. Well, 82% said they would not be allowed. uh, They're saying that movie theaters should not be open. That's stunning to me. I could get a movie theater going. I'm running a movie theater. It's every four seats, let's say. We go in at a a generous pace. We make sure the place is clean. We handle the, the, uh, the, uh, the counters where they sell the popcorn and everything else. We make sure they're clean. The guys and women are wearing gloves. Movie theaters can work. You understand, we got to work through this environment. We can't just cower under our beds. Do you believe this poll? And I put this on Twitter. I'm going to get your responses. I want to get your responses online, 1-866-408-7669. So uh, those are some of the things that just stunned me uh, and and about how the American people feel, not the people I'm with. And maybe it's just, I'm in New York, which is still the epicenter of everything. And we're still trying to find out what our governor means when he says he's going to begin to open up the state next week. We have no idea. But he did say this, which I found somewhat encouraging, cut 10. There's a cost of staying closed, no doubt. Economic cost, personal cost. There's also a cost of reopening quickly. 
Either option has a cost. You stay closed, there's a cost. You reopen quickly, and there's a cost. The faster we reopen, the lower the economic cost, but the higher the human cost. Uh, Governor, I think this is like therapy for him. Uh, I mean, you get information. I enjoy the PowerPoint, uh, but a lot of times he just postulates uh, and I'm a little over it. But maybe American people aren't. He's the highest rated governor in the country uh, now in his third term in New York. Uh, Governor Gavin Newsom feeling the pressure. Other Democrats feeling the pressure to start opening up their state and giving us a chance uh, to be successful. He's opened up uh, three more beaches, including the Orange County City beaches, Newport, Huntington, and others. Uh, Laguna Beach, about time. It never should have been closed. He's facing some lawsuits there. Everybody wants you to be responsible. But I also think it's a lot of laziness. Go in there, put on the, figure out what it takes to be successful. Figure out, work with these store owners, these mayors, these county assemblymen, these supervisors. Say, this is what I suggest. This is what I do. This is what could be effective. Make the people feel better about clothing shopping and uh, going and sitting down in your restaurant. And then it's game on. Uh, Also, game on in terms of China. They're feeling, as we reported yesterday, Reuters is saying that China uh, internal documents reveal they expect uh, their persona, uh, their, their global approval to go down precipitously, almost to the Tiananmen Square level when they killed those innocent kids in, in, in Tiananmen Square all those years ago in the 80s uh, because they had the audacity to try to speak up for their rights. Uh, the world looked down on them. They have rehabbed themselves. They've grown their economy. But now in sicking this virus and not being honest about it and candid about it, uh, their persona has dropped a lot. So why do people think of China? They think something negative. So Beijing is ready for a global impact on that, and they're poised in for a military confrontation with us. So here's how their ambassador sat down and defended their action. They said, the nature of China's political system uh, is dominating the content of the attacks. He says the world is just critical of them because they don't like communism. They said this, They accuse China of delays and cover-ups, and some even demand a reckoning with China. China was blamed for providing second-rate supplies with quality control problems when measures were taken to ensure product quality. I have news for you. They gave crap to Europe especially, and in some cases to us. That is poor quality control. I don't care what you say. China's ambassador says we were criticized for hoarding supplies and holding up exports. That's conspiracy theories abound. And all points to China's geopolitical strategies. Yes, We believe you did. The WHO has spoken highly of China's epidemic response, which led to conspiracy theorists charged that China has either bought the WHO or exerted political pressure on the agency. Naturally, the WHO has lambasted that response. You handpicked the guy. You put him in place. He's not even a doctor. You didn't let him in right away. And even to the point where things were going crazy in March, the WHO is lauding how well you've done. You have not done well. You've handed out terrible supplies. Communist form of government is terrible. It puts the people last. And those who spoke up, you've jailed. We've seen the video. For those who had the courage to walk out of the street, you've dragged them back into their homes. That's no way to treat people. That's the way you treat your people, China. You deserve the blowback. I'll give you what our response should be. 
although you're getting some of it now. When we come back, a man who knows all about global conflict and challenges, Arthur Herman, senior fellow with Hudson Institute and author of Freedom's Forge, How American Business Produced Victory in World War II. He believes a lot of those axioms would work now. Then we'll talk to Congressman Kevin Brady. Then we do a simulcast and take your calls. With uh, on Fox News Channel, you'll find out what I look like. Uh, so glad you're here. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The number one thing you find is we don't make aspirin. We don't make penicillin. This is what China has done, just as you laid out earlier. Their plan to overtake, going into our universities, going into our press. They have gone in to take the critical minerals away. They've gone in to find those in the pharmaceuticals. They control 70% of the ingredients that go into generics and others. And what they do is, if a company opens up, they flood the market, put the private sector out. So it's not just bringing the companies back, but having them maintain themselves. Well, in terms of uh, freeing ourselves from China's grip, we got to do it economically while building up militarily. And my next guest knows that. That was Kevin McCarthy just talking about decoupling our manufacturing. Uh, Arthur Herman is a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute and author of Freedom's Forge, How America's Business Produced Victory in World War II. His newest book is The Viking Heart, How Scandinavians Conquered the World and Transformed the American Dream. First things first, Arthur, I want to talk to you about uh, the lessons we can learn from World War II. But I do want to get your take on China and this turning point in our relationship. What changes during and after this pandemic? Well, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, What you're going to see is a massive shift in mentality, both starting with this administration, which has been talking about the threat from China economically, as well as from a national security point of view. But you're also going to see a shift in Congress, in the business community to realizing that America's most vital supply chains, in other words, where we get the most important materials and components for everything right. from uh, computers and uh, uh, high-end electronics to our pharmaceuticals and medical supplies and 
everything in between that we're going to have to start reshoring our manufacturing capability here in the U.S. It's a two-stage process. But they're private businesses. Right. Arthur, they're it's private a private business. business. Gonna we're going to go up to, we're going to go rip them out? No, I think what we're going to, what you're going to see is a, is a, is a, is a more uh, studied and a more careful approach than simply trying to go cold turkey. You know, we've got an addiction to Chinese manufactured goods. Going cold turkey is not the answer. And as you just point out, a lot of businesses are going to go belly up if we were to do something as drastic and as sharp as that. But what we can do well, is to start laying the plans right. for moving uh, that the manufacturing of key vital uh, industries, including our defense industrial base, back to the U.S., or at least to allies who we can trust and with whom we have a constructive relationship. And that process of decoupling key sectors of our economy from China, that's going to be an important part of the agenda for this administration. I've talked to White House officials about this, and I'm looking forward to helping to lead the effort to bring a phased, layered approach to making us, to ending our addiction on Chinese manufactured right. goods. It's got to be done, Brian. And hopefully, hey, Japan's doing it, uh, and we'll see if uh, Europe will follow. They've been very critical, but that they're intimidated by Japan's power, money, and allured by this Belt and Road program. I want to pivot, if I can, back to World War II, because you're an expert in yep. that area. And you talked about how industry was un is underappreciated in historical, uh, at the time not, uh, was appreciated, but maybe not now, and how... FDR tapped into our auto companies in order to build tanks and planes. And you say they we can did. learn from that now. Wasn't that what the president's doing when he was at Honeywell yesterday, thanking them for masks? I know. It isn't that amazing, though. I mean, there you've got an aerospace company, a defense company, that is now engaged in making uh, health care products, right? Uh, basically uh, supplying the needs for a different kind of war, for a different kind of national security threat, which is, which is the coronavirus. And what other viruses come down the road? You know, this is, we're going to see this again. That's inevitable. But I'm going to make a prediction to you, Brian, is that what you're seeing with the White House is taking place and being led by Peter Navarro in particular is an appeal, just as we did during World War II, as I explained in my book, Freedom's Forge, an appeal to private industry to incentivize them to turn their innovative, mm -hmm. entrepreneurial, productive instincts and facilities loose on what the right. nation needs, instead of trying to direct it from uh, everything from a central desk or from a central office in Washington. That's what we did in World War but II. You Incentivize the private sector. Right. Let them take the lead in terms of devising how to make what what we needed, and what we're seeing is that it's happening now. And I think the results have been amazing, and are going to continue to GM be is, for several months. Right. GM has done a great job on ventilators, but you're also talking about making people combine. You say get Medtronic, get Johnson & Johnson, get Becton Dickinson to share each other's patents and so we can get these medical device companies so we can start moving towards a vaccine and the therapy. That's interesting. Make companies work together. That's, uh, that'll be that's, fascinating. That's what we out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. 
did during World War II, and during World War II, in fact, we suspended a lot of the antitrust laws that would have made that kind of combination impossible. Here's my prediction to you. I think when you've got all of the best and brightest minds in the U.S. and around the world right now focused on how do we defeat and crush out the coronavirus through vaccinations, through antiviral drugs, through antibiotic drugs, how do we develop tests that can be done as quickly as to, as quickly as we can test whether you're pregnant or not i think why not have a why not have a, a test that can test whether you've got a virus or not i think you're going to see amazing right. changes that take place in the way in which we handle healthcare crises in the future as a result of this but it's related again uh, brian where right. we started and that is it also has to be one in which we don't depend on china for those kinds of vital Gotcha. Goods and vital services. Gotcha. Uh, Arthur Herman, thanks so much. Good luck with uh, Viking Heart. And thanks so much for the World War II insight when you talk about uh, Freedom's Forge. Back in a moment, Congressman Kevin Brady of Texas. They're ready to reopen. Are they really? From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. By following those same safe strategies, we can also show that we now can have non-essential businesses operate while still containing the spread of COVID-19. Our ability to show that we can coexist with COVID-19 depends on ongoing efforts at good hygiene to continue to slow the spread. So it's up to Texans whether or not we remain open and in fact open up even more uh, Governor Greg Abbott saying on May 8th, things are going to open up, and on May 15th, even more, and little by little, the state will be open. Is this the right path to take? Even though numbers are going up, right now, Texas has confirmed 33,000 cases, 1,000-plus uh, have uh, 1,037 uh, have been up over the last day. Deaths at 906, uh, that's plus 22. Recovery, 16,791. That's plus 701 today. Joining us now is Congressman Kevin Brady of Texas, ranking member of the Ways and Means Committee. Congressman, welcome back. Is Texas ready? Yeah, Brian, thanks for having me. The the answer is yeah. Texas is reopening safely. We are the second largest population uh, state in the country, but just ninth in the number of cases. The growth of new cases is slowing, despite the fact our testing is hitting record levels. So you would expect cases to go up, obviously, as they do anywhere. Uh, But the growth of those cases are slowing. Most importantly, hospitalizations are down 13 percent over the weekend. And as Governor Abbott pointed out, we now have more recoveries from the COVID uh, cases than we do active cases. Not that you can uh, let the pressure off here in the state, but clearly uh, it's crucial to reopen. He's, in fact, accelerating some of that with salons and barbershops and other non-essential manufacturing are going to be able to reopen earlier because we're on the right path. But I'll tell you, the the economic numbers that we're going to see here on Friday is going to show, you know, 30 million Americans have lost their job. We've given that back every job since the financial crisis of 2008. The key, as you know, 
is uh, don't let these job losses be permanent. Uh, if businesses fail, workers fail. So the president's exactly right, uh, and the governor and Governor Abbott's exactly right. Let's reopen. Let's get people back to work. Let's save those jobs and give some people hope as we uh, keep that pressure on the virus. All right, uh, Kevin. We as we look ahead, uh, Governor said that uh, when it comes to hair salons, they open up tomorrow. Uh, excuse me, Friday. There'll only be one stylist per person. Be recommended the stylist and the customer wear face masks. If customers cannot wait more than sit more than six feet apart, it's recommended they go outside. Every owner, every salon, he says, will use their best judgment. Can you imagine that? Every gym opens May 18th if they want. No locker rooms, no showers, and all equipment must be sanitized after each use. Customers must wear gloves. I imagine they're going to tape off. I was talking to some other gym owners, tape off some ellipticals, tape off every other uh, treadmill. Uh, there are things that can be done, but allow the owners to have members, members to be able to work out, work together, because they know the alternative doesn't work for anyone uh, so restaurants, retail stores, libraries, movie theaters uh, have reopened with 25 percent capacity. Just your unofficial thoughts. How's it going so far with those reopenings that have taken place already? I, Brian, I think it's going really well. I think the governor opened a big can of common sense in how you reopen these businesses. Every organization knows how to reopen safely, both for their workers and their customers, because they have to. I mean, they, they literally have to. It's essential for them. But we've got, I can just tell you, this past weekend, uh, with uh, the state now reopening, again, gradually, but reopening, well, it is a whole different level of feeling here in the state, in neighborhoods and communities. There's there's finally, you know, some spirit, some energy, some belief for actually going back to work. You talk to small businesses, they're starting to see um, uh, projects uh, get okayed. Business is starting to do, make orders. We're seeing people going back to work. Not not all at once, but, but I, I can just tell you, Brian, Texas is the 10th largest economy on the planet. Uh, and to see it reopening in a good, smart, healthy way, well, I, I hope this uh, helps other states do the same. So uh, the governor is going to take the risk. He's going to meet with the president shortly, too. I think it's going to be tomorrow. And I know they're good friends and they really respect each other. Uh, but, Congressman, the one thing that people are pointing out to, New York City's daily onslaught is going down. Chicago, the makeshift hospital is folded up. New Orleans, they thought it was going to be a disaster. They only have a, uh, a handful of cases each day. But more than a month has passed since uh, there was a day fewer than 1,000 deaths in this country. Almost every day, at least 25,000 new corona cases are identified, uh, meaning there's expanding in 2 to 4% per day. When you go to Washington next week, you're going to talk more about, less about Texas, more about the country. How do we do something with those numbers? And how do you tackle yeah, you know, Yeah, Brian, great question. And so, you know, I think the, case, the good news is here, as our testing dramatically increases, we are going to find more people who uh, have tested positive. The, the key is what, what's happening to them. You know, are they just self-quarantined? Are they able to recover at home? Or are they being hospitalized? Are they uh, overwhelming the healthcare system? I think we're going to find that, that, that hospitalizations will continue to, to either flatten or begin to reduce, as they are here in Texas. I, it also drives home the fact we're still having trouble in our senior living centers. Uh, everyone knows this is a priority. Uh, no state yet has really has really uh, gained the upper hand 
there that's got to continue to be uh, part of our folk or our highest priority. But that doesn't mean we can't reopen safely either. And I and I still believe we can do both. This isn't a lives versus livelihoods. In fact, we have to do both right because if we don't. We're going to hurt even more Americans, I think, because being on unemployment for a long time is unhealthy for them, their family, and for the economy as well. So, yeah, we we can do this, and we can do it in a smart way. So I I don't know how much you know about Texas is a big state. I don't know how much you know about Shelly Luther, the owner of a salon in Dallas, where she was told, close up your shop. She said, no. I, I'm, I, I'm dying on the vine. My hairdressers need a place to work. I'm staying open. They came down and served her a summons. She went to a rally and ripped it up. Then she went in front of the judge, and the judge says, if you could admit you're selfish, uh, I will not only fine you, not put you in jail. She says, I will not apologize for wanting to make a living and feed my family. So she's going to spend a week in jail. I am pro-law wow. enforcement on a regular basis. But I do not think that Sal, and I'm going to go on Fox News channel with, um, uh, with Ed Henry uh, and Sandra Smith shortly. What would you say to Shelley Luther, the, the salon owner? You know, yeah, so, A, I, I wasn't aware of that. Thank you for, for telling us that story. So it drives home what I uh, tell her and anyone else. It drives home how important it is we begin to reopen this economy. People's lives are being changed, and not just in health care, uh, but, but their economic lives are being changed. People who work their whole lives. Uh, in, to create a small business, uh, to, to hire other workers, are seeing that going away, uh, maybe permanently. And it is it is a huge cost. And so, yeah, she drives home the point how impor- important it is. And the mainstream media in Texas hates this. They hate this reopening. They're just hammering the governor right and left uh, about it. But tell you what, they're disconnected from, from Shelley and others who need to have this economy going again. All right, let's talk about the rescue package. Uh, we know that uh, the states are going crazy. They want, they want money. They say we can to be red, white. Uh, Governor Cuomo says we've got to be red, white, and blue, not red and blue. Britain says, I don't want to bail out states for bad fiscal policy. Uh, he also wants a payroll tax holiday. You're the dollars and cents guy that helped push through tax reform. How, when did, where, how did negotiations start in the House, who I understand have yeah. already signed off on a trillion-dollar proposal? So I think uh, Democrats are going in the House are going to go it alone uh, with a trillion dollar or more proposal. It's just going to be my prediction, just a pure messaging bill. They know we'll never, you know, live a day in the Senate. I think that's the wrong way to go. What I've, I'm working with the White House, obviously, so the House Republicans are. So to, to put in place the same pro-growth policies, the launch to Trump economic boom, which is keep taxes low, incentivize business to invest, make work pay. And one thing uh, I point out is that, look, uh, with the announcement yesterday that the Federal Reserve and Treasury are going to help uh, state and local governments with their cash flow, this means Congress has already allocated over $1.2 trillion, $1.2 trillion to state and local communities. That's more than we've provided for our small businesses. Gotcha. Congressman, I have to end it there. I've got to go on television shortly. But you're going to have your hands full when you get back to Congress on Monday. Congressman Kevin Brady, great. When we come back live on Fox News Channel. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America is listening to Fox News. 
the talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's well known that as viruses progress, they typically mutate to weaker forms. The phenomenon is known as Mueller's ratchet. Uh, we've seen already, and there was a nice study out of the University of Pennsylvania, uh, Pittsburgh Medical Center, uh, that showed different strains using next strain uh, to document this. But this is Virology 101. This is how they go away. Uh, they typically mutate, as well as herd immunity, to attenuated weaker strains that no longer make people so ill. And that's your hope for uh, that strains changed worries you. Civilians get worried it's mutating. But the thing that you do hope is that it gets weaker, and it seems like it did. And guess what else got uh, weaker? SARS. So SARS gets weaker. Uh, this is a little bit like SARS, I'm told by experts. They're working on a vaccine. The heat comes up. We saw that big demonstration a week ago where the president got in all that trouble with the bleach comment. That was the big story there was what sunlight does to the virus. Sunlight's coming in the Northeast especially. It's there in Texas. It never went away in Los Angeles, in, in California. So there's a lot of hope. Meanwhile, I'm going to be going on with Ed Henry and Sanders Smith, and I'll have some time after they say goodbye to me to uh, take some calls. 1-866-408-7669. Told you uh, a couple of things. We're going to be talking about this hair salon in Dallas. So you said, close up. And she said, no, I have to make a living. And they said, close up. Here's a restraining order. And she ripped it up. And they said, you're going to court. So they brought her to court. And the judge says, I'm going to fine you. I'm going to keep you out of jail. All you have to do is apologize and admit you're selfish. She said, I'm not admitting I'm selfish. So she's looking at a week in jail. Meanwhile, Friday, we are going to see, uh, Friday, we are going to see salons open up in Texas. Now, both sides feel like they're dug in because, number one, if I make a, make a rule, you've got to go by it. And number two is, uh, excuse me, I have a right to make a living. This is Texas. Uh, Texans have a right to make a living. So that's really where the standoff happened. There are no winners here. Uh, you know, Abbott's theatrics the week before. Now you have other salons that opened up. I'm just seeing here this story in the Washington Post that uh, Tune Up, uh, which was another hair salon in the area, read about what happened in Dallas, and they opened up. So you don't want chaos and anarchy, but at the same time, you say to yourself, who decided that my business should fail? And if you decided my business should fail, I think I have a say in that. I'm going to stand up and fight it. And those are the things we're talking about. I don't feel like, I feel like I'm talking about Texas a lot, but Texas is opening up big time. So let's listen to Ed Henry and Sandra Smith. Didn't get enough of you three hours this morning, so we brought you back for more. But I know you guys were hot on this story this morning. So let's, let's listen to the salon owner, Shelly Luther, in her own words when the, the judge gave her an option. She could apologize, she could pay a fine and shut her salon doors till Friday or serve jail time. Here's how she responded. I have to disagree with you, sir, when I, when you say that I'm selfish, because feeding my kids is not selfish. I have hairstylists that are going hungry because they'd rather feed their kids. So, sir, if you think the law is more important than kids getting fed, then please go ahead with your decision, but I am not going to shut the salon. Brian, your thoughts on this story? Well, number one is on the 25th. She said, uh, wait a second, just like so many people, Sandra, we talk to all the time, they're running out of money. I mean, you know about that. The average small business and you have the huge business background, 27 days worth of money. Uh, and they're out. 
So you have somebody in a salon who owns a salon who has hair cutters. They become like a family, like few other businesses, much like restaurants. And they say, mm-hmm. I'm going to bring you back uh, because I'll do this safe. I'm going to have spacing between. We're all going to wear masks. If there's too many people, well, they're going to wait outside. And in come the cops. They serve her a restraining order. She rips it up on the 25th. They bring her to court and they say to her flat out, Pay the fine. We'll let you out of jail as long as you say you're selfish. I'm not selfish. As of two hours ago, I'm checking online. She's still going to spend a week in jail. The irony is Friday, May 8th, Texas is opening up salons, 25% capacity, doing all things to keep people safe. But it's um, the worry on law enforcement's end is that others will take up on that. And I understand that reading these stories, other uh, salons go, I'm going to try that, too. But I just think that people taking away people's freedom, especially in Texas, is a bridge too far. These lawmakers got to work with business owners to stay open safely. And then the customer decides that restaurant is not safe. This one is. This salon cares about me and understands the potential for illness. I'm going to go there. The one I like to go doesn't. I'm going to move on. They took that away from people, especially in Texas, and they're going to fight back. And the people I feel worse for, not only the business owners, law enforcement. Yeah. they got to enforce these crazy rules. Right. Yeah. Ted Cruz, uh, the Texas senator, tweeted about it. Uh, he said this, seven days in jail for cutting hair, he questions. This is nuts. And government officials don't get to order citizens to apologize to them for daring to earn a living. And Brian, you look at just this company. And again, salons, barbershops, the governor says they can open on Friday. They're going to have to social distance. They encourage appointments and they say that the salon owners and barbershop owners have to use their best judgment. But it wasn't just her and her kids' mouths that needed to be fed. It was all the people who work for her and in that salon. She said, we need to reopen. I mean, everyone's got an opinion on this, Brian. You surely do. Uh, But people are fired up and they need to get back to work. So we'll see how this all goes with the reopen in Texas. I got to leave it there, unfortunately, Brian. Great talking to you. All right. Tell Ed I said hi. All right. All right uh, we are back. Uh, 186. Thanks a lot. 186-408-7669. We've got a couple of minutes left. So uh, that's a pretty, that's a story that, all right, small, small salon. Why do you care? Because a lot of people, you, do you get your hair cut? Yeah, probably. Small barbershop, big salon, whatever. Number two is you want your nails done? Yeah, you haven't been able to. You want your dog groomed? Not been able to. You want your car washed? Not been able to. I could tell you right now, from what I know, my car wash could work. I could tell you right now, from what I know, a dog groomer can, be, can get their job go, uh, can get their dog grooming business going. What you need is these mayors to walk the towns, walk the streets in their main street, deal with business owners, set rough guidelines, and get going. And when the complaints come in, you handle it. When people don't care, if they start going to that rundown sports bar and people don't care and they're hanging out together, that's when law enforcement's got to come in and go, hey, we're in a pandemic. I gave you a chance. Uh, let's go real, real quick to Harold, listening in, uh, nine, uh, listening in North Carolina. Harold. Yeah, good morning, sir. I'm calling about the young lady with the fine in Texas. I don't understand. Go ahead. What do you think? They're letting felons out of jail, but you're locking up a woman that's trying to work. I wish I used that analogy. You should have been on with me on television. I wish so much I used that analogy. I'm wondering why you guys don't ask that question. You're letting felons and detainees that are illegals, they want out, but you're locking up a taxpayer. It's mind-boggling that these idiots, you're talking about politicians walking the city, they're in their cocoon. They don't come out unless they absolutely have to. And these punitive judges who want to uh, pontificate 
because they're wearing the robe? I've had it with that. Yes or no, find me, jail me, don't lecture me. I've had it with that. Harold, great point. You deserve your own show. Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeade.com. Contact me and hit contacts there. Let me know what you think about what we're talking about. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening. It's been a wild week, and it's only Wednesday. Uh, this hour, we're going to be going to get to hear my two-part interview with Vice President Mike Pence. I did it late yesterday afternoon. Got a lot of the breaking news in. Hope you like it. I know you'll get insight from it. Uh, and we'll take some calls right after that. Uh, so I'll, run, I'll roll part one in this block. Then I'll take some calls and get your emails. Then I'll come back with part two, and you'll see we're covering all the major news of the day. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. President gave an interview, blue state coronavirus bailouts are unfair to Republicans. First of all, this is not a blue state issue. It's not just Democratic states that have an economic shortfall. Republican states have an economic shortfall. What they want to do is uh, make sure the money is not going to bad pension programs that force a lot of people to leave New York for places like Florida and Texas and Los, uh, and Texas and uh, now North Carolina. Rescue me. A cry from states and the Democrats demand from the GOP. Uh, the GOP, the president and Mitch McConnell weigh in. Number two. The Communist Party leaders feel themselves cornered and they feel that all these calls for investigations, they know that something really wrong is going to be exposed. They know they have no defense and so therefore they're acting belligerently. There you go. Gordon Chang, a China expert, if there ever has one. China pushes back on world criticism for the handling of the virus created within their borders. We don't know exactly how. As Americans' class action suits mount. Here, the China defense in our retort. Number one. Thanks to the profound commitment of our citizens, we've flattened the curve. Our country is now in the next stage of the battle, a very safe, phased, and gradual reopening. Uh, There is the president uh, determined to get past the pandemic, the fight and the comeback. President moves forward with beating the COVID-19 as more states open up, more businesses return to work and even to play. Are you ready? And so a surprising poll says the majority of Americans are not, are not really. I'm stunned by that because I am. Most people I know are. They definitely understand the virus. They have proper caution, but they don't. But the numbers are pretty overwhelming. And I'm, I'm going to get to a lot of the reopening with Mike Pence. So I'm going to bring up China in this block. I got to tell you, Kelly McEnany will be giving uh, a update today. She's back doing the press, uh, the press briefings. That's great, I think. She does a good job. And I think the president of the United States is meeting with the Iowa governor. They're having food supply issues, especially when it comes to meat and pork. Uh, they'll go over that and, more importantly, talk about opening up because we're not past the virus. Rural areas are being hit up to a degree. Now, listen to this poll. And I'm going to take your calls on this. Opposition to reopening gyms, according to the Washington Post University of Maryland poll. 78% oppose opening up gyms. I am not one of them. Dine-in restaurants, nail salons, 74% oppose it. 
56% say they're comfortable making a trip to the grocery store. I don't know. Figure that out. If you can go to the grocery store, when you think you can go to the clothing store? No. 67% say they'd be uncomfortable going to a clothing store. If you're uncomfortable, you wear gloves, arrows on the floor, which direction to go down aisles, please. 63% of Americans say they're either very or somewhat worried. I get that. 36% say they are not worried. Uh, we got to get this country going again. It's not an option sitting on the sidelines. That's why the president has uh, pretty much about to sunset his task force and talk more about an economic force, which, of course, is an invitation to all his uh, all his critics. Meanwhile, China is the number one threat to us. They are the cause of this economic uh, catastrophe that they besieged on the world, especially to us. And despite the fact that they are clearly to blame, it did not stop Chuck Schumer, a longtime critic of China, of blaming Trump. Cut 21. He spends half his time on blaming other people or other issues. You know, he's now blaming China. Well, guess what, Mr. President? It doesn't, it, 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 even if it came from China, and even if it came from China wrongly, why didn't you do something about it? Okay, uh, Chuck, it came from China. Number two, he did do something about it. You could say that he didn't act swift enough. Well, then you got to criticize 79-year-old Anthony Fauci, because in late February, he said it wouldn't be a problem. He stopped the flight from uh, China. Two weeks later, he stopped it from the European Union. What didn't happen is China didn't stop flights from China everywhere else and poison the world. And we weren't thinking that Europe was the problem. How dare we? We thought China might be acting responsibly. They weren't even saying it was, it was transferable human to human. And you had to push the impeachment. I'm not sure it was really you, but you did, you did nothing but aggressively attack it. Meanwhile, Vice President of the United States, uh, around 3.45 Eastern Time yesterday afternoon, was able to give us some time, came back in here to the Great West Babylon Studios, and we talked. Watch. Mr. Vice President, I know you're having a, a, busy, a busy day, so I'm just looking at some numbers here. Uh, they're staggering. There are 70,000 people that lost their lives. Unemployment expected to hit 34%, dramatically different from January of the same year. Where is the light at the end of the tunnel? Brian, it's good to be with you. And uh, first, let me just say there's never a day goes by that uh, we don't think of and, and, and pray for the families that have suffered loss. Um, as President Trump often says, one, one life loss is too many. And when the president tapped me to lead the White House Coronavirus Task Force, he said, um, one mission, that's to save lives. Uh, we brought together the full weight of the federal government and with the incredible efforts that the American people have made in states across the country. Uh, as we stand here today, the truth is um, we have slowed the spread. We're seeing encouraging signs all across the country, including in areas where the epidemic was very uh, significant, the greater New York City area, New Orleans, Detroit, elsewhere. Uh, we're seeing um, declining cases. We're seeing declining hospitalizations, most importantly, declining losses. Um, and uh, all of that has only been made possible because of the, the willingness of the American people to step forward to, as families, as businesses large and small, mm -hmm. to put into practice uh, the president's coronavirus guidelines for America. And I, I just couldn't be, couldn't be more proud of the American people. I know I've hard you worked on it, and that's why I was somewhat surprised uh, that there was talk of, in fact, it might have been you, that said you're probably going to be disbanding the task force soon, Anthony Fauci, Dr. Berks and company. What could you tell us about that? 
Well, I, what I can tell you is that we're, they're just preliminary discussions, but it'll all be um, it'll all be based on the conditions on the ground. You know, the president stood up the White House Coronavirus Task Force in January. He asked me to lead it in late February to bring a whole of government approach. But uh, as we continue to make uh, progress, as we continue to see uh, hospitalizations and and even uh, heartbreaking losses begin to decline, as we have now 41 states that have turned their attention to to reopening America, uh, uh, we really believe that there will be a there will be an appropriate time uh, for us to uh, to wind up the work of the task force. But make no mistake about it, the all of the work that we have done will continue. We'll continue to have agencies of the federal government work to expand testing, make sure supplies are available through the course of the summer, and of course uh, for the fall, and we'll continue to bring the president the very, very best medical counsel. But no decision has been made on timing. Ultimately, it'll be the president's decision, uh, but our our, uh, our objective is to continue to work our hearts out every day to continue to to slow the spread and to heal our land. What was the reaction of the doctors or those in the task force when you brought they up that we're going to be sunsetting the task force soon? Well, as I said, it's all been preliminary discussions, Brian. Uh-huh. And um, uh, but make no mistake about it, uh, whether it be uh, Dr. Burks, who's uh, just done an extraordinary job for America since we brought her brought her in a few days after I started in this role, or Dr. Tony Fauci or Dr. Redfield at the CDC. Um, this team will continue to, wherever they're doing their role, they'll continue to provide the very best counsel to the president. And, and as the American people have seen from the first day that uh, the coronavirus emerged uh, in our country, uh, you'll continue to see this president take decisive action mm-hmm. uh, to uh, put the health health and well-being of America first. I don't know if you had a chance to see this, but a whistleblower lawsuit has been filed. You've been down this road before. Dr. Rick Bright, the ousted director of the office involved in developing the vaccine, formally filed an extensive whistleblower complaint in it, Mr. Vice President. It says that uh, the president and others look for his removal, but you guys ignored uh, his urgency to say that you guys got to take ac- action against the virus. The quote is indifference uh, in his urgency, which then developed into hostility towards him uh, when he was warning you guys in the winter of 2020. What could you tell me about Dr. Bright? Do you want to clarify from your point of view? Well, I, I, I don't know the man. I don't believe that I've uh, ever had any interaction with him. Um, but uh, And I haven't seen the report, but I, I can tell you, Brian, um, that really from the time the president suspended all travel from China in January, um, uh, from the time that he stood up the White House Coronavirus Task Force in the same month, uh, took decisive action in the weeks and months that would follow, uh, uh, you know, ending ending travel from uh, uh, Europe, uh, the U.K., Ireland, ultimately, ultimately calling on the American people to, to embrace the what would become 45 days to slow the spread. Uh, uh, this president has spared no expense uh, and brought uh, incredible energy and urgency to the mission of saving American lives. And you know, they said, remember, when, when, uh, when the health experts uh, working with our task force went to the president with a recommendation about um, 
about slowing the spread and the mitigation efforts. There were there were some estimates that without any mitigation, without any uh, social distancing, that we could lose mm-hmm. between 1.5 and 2.2 million Americans. And but even with mitigation, Brian, the estimates that we would lose uh, 100,000 to 240,000. Uh, of our countrymen. And uh, I I can tell you that because of the president's leadership and because of what the American people have done, despite the heartbreaking losses we've seen, um, I I truly do believe we've we've saved lives and uh, and we prevented our health care system, the greatest in the world, from being overwhelmed. I I must tell you that uh, I think every American should be proud uh, of the fact that no one who has required a ventilator has been denied a ventilator in the United States. That's, right. that's a tribute to the president using the Defense Production Act. It's a tribute uh, to the entire team that served this president. And um, we'll continue to bring that same level of urgency to provide the supplies mm-hmm. for, for testing for our health care workers. And we'll continue to meet this moment. I just want you to hear something you might not have heard before. Uh, Anthony Fauci joined John Castamatidis's radio show uh, in January 26 of this year. Listen to the question and listen to the answer. What do you tell the American people uh, about what's going on? Should they be scared? Uh, I don't think so. The American people should not be worried or frightened by this. It's a very, very low risk to the United States. It isn't something that the American public needs to worry about. He was talking about the virus. If Anthony Fauci is our premier expert, and in January 26, he's telling us don't worry about the virus. What do you say, and what do you remember of that period in this in this journey? Well, I, I just remember a president whose health care team came to him just a few short days after that um, and said that the threat was real and that President Trump had to take the, a step that no other American president had ever done suspending all travel into the United States from China. Uh, it was an extraordinary measure. Um, and some, you know, some have pointed out that, uh, that uh, some 40,000 Americans returned uh, from China uh, in the days that followed. But what they failed to mention is the president also had our team uh, stand up a screening process yeah. at 11 American airports. When people were coming back into the country, they were asked to quarantine for 14 days in many jurisdictions, so, depending on circumstances. But um, this and that's president, good, yeah. on, even even while, while uh, health officials going off of the best information they had at the time, uh, we're still assessing the risk was low. President Trump took decisive action. And, Brian, there's no question uh, that it bought us invaluable time to stand up uh, our national response and save American lives. But it's just also no question that a premier expert uh, in the country did not think this virus was going to be bad on America in late January. So well, I think it, that may have been around or shortly before the time that we had information about uh, about human to human transmission. I mean, the the truth is, China sat on information, Brian. Um, and as the president said, at the right time and in the right way, we're going to hold uh, China and the World Health Organization accountable uh, yeah. for the the way they deserved America and deserved the world. Um, but um, I just but, understand so I, too. I don't want to be critical of people's limited information, but I, you, you just it just really does put in high relief the decisive leadership uh, that President Trump demonstrated in, uh, in, in closing all travel right. from China, standing up the White House Coronavirus Task Force. And in the months that would follow, I, 
uh, I couldn't be more proud to have been uh, been a part of our, our national response. You know, we're going to talk more to the vice president shortly, and we're also going to talk about the letter that uh, Senator Schumer sent to the president saying we need a national strategy on testing and we want it now. I thought the president had one. I asked that to the vice president. He is remarkably optimistic, does not, unlike his uh, the president, uh, who would not have failed to been more succinct on that answer. It's got to somehow uh, make him feel a little bit better, validate him uh, for them people who say there was a slow response. Well, when your experts who are apolitical don't have a, a warning shot, which shot do you have if you're not a scientist? Brian Kilmeade Show, back with you in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. We're talking about the rescue plan. Uh, looks like Democrats and Republicans are differing there. Also, John Radcliffe is going through his nomination process as DNI. He should be getting a vote next week in committee and then out to the general population of the Senate. Uh, and uh, a lot of states are getting angry. The president is not all in on just giving states a blank check. Meanwhile, one of the big stories that we had uh, previous hour was this hair cutter in Dallas who refused to stay closed, opened up. They told her, here's a restraining order, closed. She said, no, they brought it to court. She said, uh, the judge said, I'll fine you, keep you out of jail, just apologize, say you were selfish. She said, no. A lot of people weighing in on that. First off, Bonnie writes me and said, I just searched this on the Internet. Not one mainstream media outlet, CNN, MSNBC, ABC, NBC, have even covered it. It's outrageous. Others have written me uh, and talked about uh, different cures and things like that. But Kathy writes me on the haircutter issue. She says this Pensa, there's a Pennsylvania senator getting her hair cut while the Pennsylvania barbers and hair salons are not allowed to open. We see this over and over again. What about Illinois? What about all these other people to getting their haircuts and uh, going to the beach? Uh, in the case of this uh, London expert uh, having an affair on the side while testing positive for the coronavirus, According to a now-deleted Instagram posting and picture from Press Secretary of Pennsylvania Center, Jay Costa, Brittany Crampsey, and the center received a haircut from her. She can be seen on the Internet if you do a search on her name. So that's part of the double standard, which drives people crazy. Another hair salon uh, email. John writes me and says, you're on the spot. This is ridiculous, putting her in jail. What is Texas? The new China? Glad I'm in Missouri. Just keep in mind, Texas is pushing to open There's somewhat of a risk there in rural areas, especially. Salons open Friday. Leave this woman alone. Let it go by the boards. When she had her big tearing up ceremony, that put a lot of pressure on law enforcement, though. Feel so bad for the cops who got to enforce this. Listen, when we come back, part two of my interview with Mike Pence, uh, we talk about Chuck Schumer, the letter, uh, where we're going as a country, getting us all back on track. And then I take more of your calls, 1-866-408-7669. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News Podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. So, uh, I don't know if you saw 
But, uh, I, you know, if you've been listening to the show lately, my feeling with this coronavirus is fight it with the science, uh, fight it with discipline, but get open and find a way to fight it through the economy, finding a way to make it work, uh, depending on the disease, fight through it smartly. And when I hear these leagues say we're not ready to play yet, I'm waiting for them to come up with a plan. Instead of waiting for a green light from some governor or president, mayor, why don't you come up with your own plan? And the Dolphins, I guess they kind of heard me. The Dolphins have announced that they plan on playing in September. And they plan, they even have a plan to do it. So they got about 65,000 seats in their stadium, uh, Hard Rock Stadium. And it's a beautiful stadium. And they said, we're probably going to have only about 15,000 people come. And the 15,000 people are going to have color codes on their tickets. They're going to know what entrance to go to. And... When they actually get seated, it'll be about 15,000, so there'll be plenty of space in between them. I imagine people who are families get to sit together, and then space in between the group tickets, within reason. Maybe they're not going to sell group tickets. And then when they come to leave the game, they're going to leave kind of the way you leave church, most to leave church, and that's an aisle at a time. So if that's an example of changing with the times. That's what makes it work. That's what sports has to do. If they can come up with a plan and their league doesn't start until September... Where's baseball's plan? And if they have it, make it public. That'll get the thirst from the fans to say, this is what I'm going to. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to a Nationals game. I, I think I'm going to go to a Ranger game because uh, they get it. It looks like it's going to be safe. I like the idea of uh, a time to enter and a tunnel to enter. I like the fact that it's not going to be sold out right away. It beats being an empty stadium. You know, in Taiwan, they actually have cutouts of fans and a handful of fans there, but they're playing baseball. I even think ESPN is televising Korean and Taiwanese baseball. You are desperate, but it beats watching the draft again. It's unbelievable to be on a sports channel now. Meanwhile, it's time for part two of my interview with the vice president of the United States. He has a lot going on. He's setting up the task force. He just went over the fact that they're going to be sunsetting that task force. The president just tweeted about it. Anthony Fauci didn't know anything about it. I imagine uh, that's not going to go over too well, but I think the president will probably keep a scaled down version. We'll have to see. He's determined to move this story forward, even though it is dangerous and politically risky. Here's more of my interview with the vice president. You might not know this, but on Tuesday, 40 uh, Democratic senators have signed a letter to the president urging him to ramp up testing and develop a detailed national plan of action. Quote from Schumer, Mm -hmm. we are deeply troubled by the lack of a detailed uh, strategy and uh, in the (laughs) testing blueprint and are fundamentally reject the notion that the federal government bears the little responsibility in increasing testing capacity. What's, what would be the vice president's answer to the letter to the president signed by Schumer and uh, Senator Patty Murray? Well, I just uh, I would encourage every member of the Senate to talk to their governors around the country. We had another great conference call with governors. And frankly, it would be a number of weeks ago that we assisted governors in unlocking uh, massive amounts of, um, of laboratory testing capacity in their states. And starting this week, uh, we're going to be shipping literally millions of, uh, of, of uh, swabs and medium and, and test tubes to all 50 states and territories uh, at the level that they have requested to do the testing that they deem and- to be appropriate. And, but none of this could have happened. This is important to remember when you speak about, about the president's leadership. None of this could have happened unless the president uh, and this administration brought these massive commercial labs into the White House uh, in uh, in early March and formed a public and private partnership that's literally unlocked. As I stand here today, 7.3 right. million tests have been done. When I took this job, Brian, uh, in late February, 
uh, all of the public labs in the CDC had done 8,500 coronavirus tests uh, in the month of February and from the first of the year. But now some, yeah. 7.3 million and more than a quarter of a million tests every day. It's a testament to a, it's a testament to a strategy that President Trump implemented, and we're going to continue to work with governors uh, to make sure they have the tests and the yeah. resources to meet their needs. Here's the Illinois governor, Governor J.B. Pritzker, cut to. I've risen to the challenge. You know, I talked to my fellow governors, Republicans and Democrats. We've shared ideas with one another about how to keep people safe. We've gotten some guidance from the CDC that's been helpful, but much of what came out of the White House for many weeks was not helpful. We needed the White House to lead on the Defense Production Act to help us get swabs, to help us get VTM, to help us get reagents. Uh, that really hasn't much happened. Do you, do you want to answer him? He certainly is a critic. Well, I spoke to Governor J.B. Pritzker in our conference call on um, on Monday with all the governors from all the 50 states and territories. And I think at this point, yeah. uh, he informed us that he's uh, because of the laboratory capacity that we helped him unlock in Illinois and the and the testing supplies we've given him that he's doing more than 20,000 tests per day. And um, and we'll continue to scale that. I mean, look, this is a this is a an unprecedented national response. We've we've had a full partnership with governors around the country, uh, and and I have to tell you, in all of my interactions uh, with governors in either political party, um, I, I just couldn't I couldn't be more proud right. of uh, of the way this president has forged um, the kind of a partnership with uh, all of our state governors that's really serve the interests of the American people, and we'll do that. But I I will tell you, I mean, 200 community-based testing sites we've stood up with the states this week will – We'll uh, this will start shipping out as you as I said swabs and medium and test tubes. Every state is going to receive on a weekly basis this month everything right. they need to do the test. Yeah, they, I don't think he's ever going to be happy. To I just want to bring you something I know is passionate on your <laughs> side. I know you have to run, but in Virginia, the Department of Justice is siding with a Virginia church that filed a lawsuit against the state over the Ralph, uh, Ralph Governor Northam uh, stay at home order restricting in-person religious services to do no more than 10 people. So they had 16 people in the Lighthouse Fellowship Church, and they got served a restraining order, and the Department of Justice decided with them. Is this a case of overreach by a governor, aside, in your judgment, of the Department of Justice ruling? Does this offend you? Well, the Department the Department of Justice believes that, and I... And I strongly agree. Look, we even in the midst of a national emergency, um, every American enjoys our cherished liberties, including the freedom of religion. And the very idea uh, that the the Commonwealth of Virginia um, uh, would uh, would would uh, would sanction a church for having 16 people uh, come to a Palm Sunday service when I think the church actually seats about 250 was just beyond the pale. And uh, I'm truly grateful for Attorney General Barr standing by religious liberty. Uh, and uh, as we approach the National Day of Prayer this Thursday, uh, we're, we're going to be celebrating the faith of the American people and the freedom uh, to, uh, to to right. practice and, and live out our faith every day. And, and, uh, and that's why I just, I, I wanted to uh, I wanted to speak out in favor of the DOJ's action and just assure every American that we are going to stand by 
um, men and women of faith of every religion in this country and 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 protect even in this challenging time protect their right. their uh, freedom of religion. The other major story in the news is General Michael Flynn. It was his conversation with you that prompted the president to say he wasn't candid with you. Mm-hmm. I have to let him go. You said uh, upon further review, maybe he was not lying. Can you bring us in that moment, being that his reputation is on the line, he's been financially ruined, and this could be the beginning of him, us getting his side of the story? What would you like to ask General Flynn if you could talk to him now? Well, look, uh, General Michael Flynn uh, is a great American patriot who served our country in uniform uh, with courage uh, and and distinction. And uh, um, but when I look at uh, the evidence that's uh, come to light uh, in in recent weeks, real evidence of prosecutorial uh, abuse, um, uh, it's deeply troubling to me. And I'm, as I said uh, last week, I, I'm. I'm, uh, I'm more convinced than ever that um, that uh, the comments he made to me were uh, he misrepresented what he had said in a telephone call with uh, the Russian ambassador that were unintentional. It, I'm I'm much more inclined to believe that he he, he unintentionally uh, um, misstated the facts in that call. And and uh, uh, but look, there's a great injustice done to General Michael Flynn, and uh, I think it's becoming more and more clear. And not only to me, but to people all across this country. That he was targeted? Well, I just, it's hard to believe. When you see language written in the margins of, uh, of official documents that talk about trying to get someone to lie, um, it, just, it's, uh, uh, it, it just represents a level of, of prosecutorial abuse that uh, is just, it should be deeply troubling to every American, whatever their politics, whatever their, whatever their political philosophy. Vice President Pence, can't thank you enough for our time, and our audience thanks you as well. Truly appreciate it. Brian, great to be with you. And I, and I just must tell you that as, uh, uh, as we have made our way in the, in the past few months and we continue to make our way, I, I just um, am so grateful uh, to the American people for the way they have stood, their faith, their, their resilience, their willingness to care for the most vulnerable has saved lives. And, um, um, and, and because of what they've done, uh, uh, we're, we're getting through this. We're getting through this uh, as a nation. And uh, uh, I truly do believe the day will come soon when we put the coronavirus uh, in the past. And it'll be a great tribute to all of the American people when that day comes. And do you want to rethink the task force if it does come back in the fall? Like they, like Fauci said, he's going to come back in the winter. He can guarantee it. Would you bring the task force back if you had sunsetted it? Well, that'll be a decision for the president uh, of the United States. Uh, the president stood up the task force in January. But I, I can promise you that uh, at President Trump's direction, we're going to continue uh, in whatever format to marshal the full resources uh, of the federal government to confront the coronavirus and put the health of the American people first. Best of luck, Mr. Vice President. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brian. All the best. Go get him. And, that, and, you know, he does a show out of respect for our audience. I mean, they've done it in the past. They get huge feedback, and he wants to get his message out. So I uh, really salute to you guys that he wanted to speak directly to you, and that's why in the afternoon when they became available, I, got, I went flying back five hours later to come do the interview for today. Um, so 
He gave a lot there. We did not get to talk about remdesivir or the China threat. I'll talk about that with you if you want. We also have uh, Mark Siegel on next hour. If you're able to stick around, I'm not sure what hour your affiliate takes the show. Uh, we come back. I'm going to open it up. I'm going to have more to know. I'm going to take some calls. Also, I'm getting a ton of email, especially on that Dallas haircutter arrested, spending seven days in jail, it looks like, because she refused to close because she just wanted to work. Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks to the profound commitment of our citizens, we've flattened the curve and countless American lives have been saved. Our country is now in the next stage of the battle, a very safe, phased and gradual reopening. Tremendous progress is being made. I don't want to talk about it until it's there. We don't want to talk too soon. President of the United States talking optimistically, got out. He was definitely a lift for him. Got out, got into the plant in Arizona, Honeywell plant. They're, they're a military firm, and they were able to make masks and PPE equipment, and he wanted to salute them. GM got a great salute on 60 Minutes. I was pretty much in awe of how they went from cars to ventilators. But there's a great story there. The president said, I'm going to use the uh, Defense Production Act. But he didn't have to. So you say, go, why didn't you use the act? Well, when a company like GM or Honeywell says, I'm doing it, why do you have to hit them over the head with a hammer? If the problem is when they don't do it or too slow by it, that's it. What Arthur Herman talked about, an expert on World War II, is that you got the best car makers to make tanks. They all came together. They said, if you can get the best uh, medical device teams together and share their patents, they might be able to get better testing quicker. This way we could get them all into offices. That's just one of his many great ideas we could take from World War II. I'm getting a lot of emails. Uh, I have a few minutes here, and I want to share some with you. Loretta writes me and says, uh, when it comes to the China situation, he said, and the, and the shortage on meat, he says, why is it today that networks are reporting possible meat shortages, yet no one is expressing concern over China's ownership and control of U.S. meat processing and packaging facilities? For instance, uh, the WH Group, the largest pork company in the world, owns Smithfield Foods USA, which includes the meat processing plant in Sioux, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. They also own American brands such as Smithfield, Eric, uh, Eckrich, uh, Nathan's, Armour, Cook's, uh, Galtway, and John Morrell, just to name a few. Wow, I did not know that. I, Loretta, I didn't check out your sources. I trust that you, have, uh, you know your stuff. But that is interesting. Jane writes me on the poll that I was bringing about the Washington Post that says, most people are very wary about going to gyms, very wary about going to restaurants. Uh, seven out of every ten said they're not going to do either. They don't want to go to salons. I can't believe that. I haven't met anyone that doesn't want to take precautions and go to all those places. Jane writes, I think the poll you referenced today with the Washington Post, University of Maryland, is another skewed poll, like many other current presidential polls. They polled like 1,200 people. Uh, so let's go to the phones right now. Uh, Glenn is listening to WHIO in, Day- uh, in Dayton, Ohio. Hey, Glenn. Hey, Br- hey Brian. Thanks for having me on. Hey, uh, when the vice no president problem. was talking, that was a great interview. Uh, the, he you. said Commonwealth of Virginia, and he was talking in terms of the pastor. 
there was another famous pastor in Virginia. His name was Patrick Henry. And he famously quoted, I care not what course other men may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. It seemed extremely appropriate. I thought he was going to quote him, honestly. And the idea that we are something other than that nation, it's untenable to me. I don't understand it. We either are that nation still or we're something different. Living in between is not working. I hear you. Uh, and I think that that's what's it fundamentally we are as disciplined as it comes. If there's a world war, you know, we'll sign up and we'll convert our factories. But this is an enemy perpetrated on us by a uh, country that doesn't like us. And now we're trying to fight back from it. And they tell us shelter in place. There's something indescribably wrong about that uh, and passive. And Americans want to go out, at least go down swinging or on our shields. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Hope for Orlando and hope for Anaheim. Shanghai Disney opens up. Not by much, though. They all wear masks. 30% capacity. Characters don't wear masks. I'm pretty sure their heads aren't in there. Their heads are around their torso. They attracted roughly 80,000 people a day normally. They'll take 24,000 people there now. Come on, Orlando. Do the same thing. Next. Rand Paul says he's not wearing a mask. He said he had it already. He's not contagious. He's a doctor. All right, that's fine. Next. Gold's Gym filed for Chapter 11, bankruptcy amid the coronavirus crisis. The chain, which is legendary, permanently closed 30 company-owned locations. The company plans to work through the restructuring process by August 1st uh, so they can continue to support their nearly 700 gyms around the world. How bad is that? Texas-based Gold's having some huge problems. You better go back to the gym. You do it right, we're all going back. And United Airlines telling all employees to consider voluntary separation and plans to cut 3,400 management jobs and company deliveries. They call it painful. No kidding. It's based in Chicago. That is a huge number. It also told pilots to brace for changes. According to two memos seen by Reuters, the company employed 96 employees, 96,000 people. Unbelievable. Uh, that's a quick look at there's more to know, but there is a lot more to know. That's why you always got to listen to the show. We got diverse opinions. We got diverse news. All to make your life a little bit better during this very unsettling time. Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep it here. Fox Nation presents podcasts. Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Get ready for another hour. Brian Kilmeade Show. Dr. Siegel is helping us out. If you have any medical questions, if you want all the big uh, big stories uh, un, uh, unwound, Dr. Siegel's going to do it for us. He's a Fox contributor, NYU doctor. And Tiki Barber at the bottom of the hour. What I'm so thrilled about is the Dolphins have done what I've been asking sports to do for the longest time. Instead of waiting for a mayor, a commissioner, a president to say play, tell me what you would do when it's time to play. Sell me on it. The Dolphins came up with a plan. I love it. Also, it's important to, to share some numbers with you, and it's not good. Uh, 72,000 people uh, have died. 34% of the country uh, is out of work. Uh, we're running out of money to keep these people employed as we slowly open the country up. 
And that is why even why some Democratic senators are seeing their their coffers barren and are beginning to take some risks. There is some risk in that. I'll talk to Dr. Siegel uh, about that. And then Tiki will have some fun at the bottom of the hour. And, of course, Kaylee McEnany will be holding her second press briefing today. I think things are getting back to normal. And the president is uh, meeting with the Iowa governor, Kim Reynolds, in the Oval Office. we got to talk about the supply chain. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. President gave an interview. Blue state coronavirus bailouts are unfair to Republicans. First of all, this is not a blue state issue. It's not just Democratic states that have an economic shortfall. Republican states have an economic shortfall. It's all about what they're spending it on. Are they spending it on their sanctuary city expenses? Are they spending it on uh, prisoners? Are they spending it on pensions? Uh, the president wants to put some strings attached primarily. That is uh, the governor of the United States, so the governor of New York, who happens to be the most popular governor in the U.S. going to polls. Rescue me, a cry, a cry from states and the Democrats demand from the GOP. The president and Mitch McConnell weigh in and they say pause. Number two. The Communist Party leaders feel themselves cornered and they feel that all these calls for investigations, they know that something really wrong is going to be exposed. They know they have no defense and so therefore they're acting belligerently. And that is Gordon Chang. China pushes back on world criticism for the handling of the virus created within their borders uh, as America's Americans class action suit lawsuits mount. Hear from uh, their defense in our retort. Number one. Thanks to the profound commitment of our citizens, we've flattened the curve. Our country is now in the next stage of the battle, a very safe, phased and gradual reopening. And there you go. And that means the coronavirus panel uh, and that task force team is going to slowly be disbanded. I would say sunsetted. Are you okay with that? where businesses are more and more returning to work, not as usual. In some cases, we're returning to play, not all play. Are you ready? A surprising poll says the majority of Americans are not going back to restaurants, are not going back to movie theaters, are not going back to gyms. Joining us now is Dr. Mark Siegel. Uh, Dr. Siegel, I was surprised by that. And thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I was surprised by that poll. Do you surprise the American people? 74% don't want to go back to gyms, even more. 76% don't want to go back to uh, go back to movie theaters, uh, over 60% don't feel comfortable going to clothing stores. Does, this, does that surprise you? No, I think that, that, that we've made a huge dent in the American psyche right now, and it's both good and bad. I think that that's the new normal. Everybody's afraid, and we, we're, we're monitoring it and all watching it to see what happens with the virus. And in a way, that type of caution is not, I look at it more of as a positive. If, Amer- if the American public is actually listening to all of these warnings, then maybe we can actually shape this in a way where we can go region by region, Brian, and figure out where it's actually safe, where, where it's actually a low amount of virus. I mean, there's way too much, probably, of these superimposed, really, really powerful movements in areas where there's very little virus. And as we do more testing, we can figure that out. But for a mindset... I'm not surprised at this, and, and I don't think it's necessarily bad. It gives us a place to start. A couple of things. Uh, in New York City, the daily onslaught of death uh, from this coronavirus has dropped of half at what it was. In Chicago, that makeshift hospital they made on the lakefront, that convention center, it's closing. It didn't fill up, thankfully. In New Orleans, new cases have dwindled to a handful each day. But critics have pointed to 
uh, what's going on in the rest of the country. We have, it's been more than a month since we had fewer than 1,000 deaths from coast to coast. Almost every day, at least 25,000 new coronavirus positive cases. And they say uh, we are expanding by 2 to 4% daily. Can you unwind those numbers? Brian, you know, I don't have a complete crystal ball on this, but I'm going to describe this virus as migratory, which is a word no one's ever used before. In other words, the pattern of this virus is it seems to hit hard in a certain region. The region gears up, and then, of course, everyone says it's all the public health measures that matter, but that's only part of it. I I can't say that there's a herd immunity where enough people get exposed so that it slows down the spread, but that's starting to come to my mind because there's so much asymptomatic spread. Something is happening where the virus takes root in the region, really devastates the area, and then slows down. And again, some of that is due to the measures we're putting in place. But I could tell you from my own experience working in the hospitals here, our own hospital was so hard hit, and now our number of admissions has dramatically decreased, and we've managed to get control of COVID-19 through, through a lot massive effort. And I don't see it reversing direction. I think that we're going in the right direction in New York City right now. That's not an accident. Part of that is the public health measures. Part of that is the nature of this virus. Part of that may be the weather starting to change. But what we don't need to see is it rearing up in other regions. That's what we're, we're trying to avoid. And there is some concern here. I want you to hear the one concern, especially in New York, the number of seniors in nursing homes uh, that are just being wiped out by this, and especially in New York, where Governor Cuomo getting high marks. But when it comes to nursing home, he keeps saying, I, I don't know anything about it. We're not in really control of that. But yet it was his decision to not let them go to Javits Center and uh, his staff's decision to not let them go to the USNS Comfort. He would send that back, these patients, into the nursing home, and they'd wipe out the rest of the population. Here's uh, Charles Camosi of Fordham University. He's a professor there. He was on with Tucker last night, like you were, Cut 35. What possible reasoning could there be for sending COVID-positive patients back to nursing homes who had no PE, no PE, no personal protective equipment, no training? And the best, I mean, the, who knows, but the best thing I can come up with is they didn't want the hospitals to be overwhelmed. If, and if, if they had taken these patients as COVID patients, if they took them um, and made sure that they weren't uh, dying off and alone um, without their families being able to see them, um, what would have happened? Maybe we would have had the horror uh, stories that we all thought were, were going to happen. What are your thoughts on this nursing home situation? We're all learning on the fly. I get that. But this doesn't seem too much of a stretch. Brian, this is a very, very tragic story. And, and I think that this is, a, this is really troubling and it's, it, and it's a disgrace that this happened. Nursing homes are set up in a way where they can't be properly, people can't be properly protected. It's a really high-risk population, the highest risk. And no matter how much disinfecting you do, and even personal protective equipment, which nursing homes don't have enough of, it's really, really hard to isolate people who are sick, to know that they have it in advance, and to keep it from spreading. What's the disgrace is that they would ever be sent back there rather than be seen at the Javits Center, which was built for this very reason and now is closed. 1,100 people were actually taking care of in the Javits Center, and the comfort was sitting offshore without even hardly anyone being there. So we had the resources for sure to take care of these patients. They definitely shouldn't have been sent back and plant the seed of COVID-19 throughout the nursing home where people are inevitably going to die, over 20% death rate in nursing homes. And that's, that's better than Europe, but there's no excuse for that here in New York or in the United States. 
All right, we're going to go to hyperspeed. I'm going to ask you a lot of questions. I know you're ready. Uh, here we go. First, immunity. The New York was saying we're going to give everyone immunity tests. We're going to find out if they have the antibodies. And then we're going to say, okay, now that you have the antibodies, we know you're immune, so we're going to give you immunity cards like Germany. What went wrong? Now no one can, can really commit to the fact that if you ha- test positive for the antibodies, that you can't get reinfected. Let me help you with that. Here's the answer. We don't know yet. We're eventually going to be able to know whether that antibody means immunity. That means further testing. There's something called a neutralizing antibody. We don't know how much of a titer you have, how much of that antibody you have. But here's what we do know. If you have that antibody, and if you had it done at a decent lab, you had it, even maybe an asymptomatic case, maybe mildly symptomatic, you're over it. And in my opinion, the chances are high that you have a large degree of immunity. It's not an immunity card, but the chances are very high if you have that antibody that you're not going to get reinfected and that you are immune. We right. haven't reached the point where we can prove immunity yet. So do you think that it was a waste of money for Cuomo to do all this besides giving a better handle on who was exposed and who was not exposed? Not a waste of money, no. I think it's extremely important to know if you have that antibody. I think if you have that antibody, you can, feel, you can breathe easier. You're not going to get it again. And you're, you're probably able to visit that nursing home or to go to that school or to visit that school or go to, go to work. I feel much more comfortable going back to work if I have that antibody. I think it's incredibly useful information. We just don't know the degree of immunity yet. Right. Uh, and if you have it, or can you, uh, if you have the antibody, can you still spread the virus? We don't know that either, right? I think not. No, no. I think if, you've had, if you have the antibody and you don't have symptoms, I think it's really, really, really unlikely that you would, you would spread the virus. Not 100%, but pretty close to it. All right, Dr. Siegel, our guest. The coronavirus vaccine enters human testing stage. Researchers have given the healthy volunteers in the U.S. an experimental coronavirus vaccine developed by Pfizer and partner Biotech, uh, the latest example of exploring potential defense against the respiratory disease is now out there. So what could you tell me about this? Do we have reason to hope? Yeah, Brian, I like this story a lot. I like Operation Warp Speed. I like the idea that there's several platforms out there that are being researched. The one that Pfizer is working on from the German company, BioNTech, you know what I like about that? That's a brand new kind of technology where they use a genetic material known as messenger RNA which literally sends the message of a protein in the, in the virus that you could then make antibodies to. So they, they basically stud regular cells with the exact protein that triggers the antibody response in the body. It's very clever technology. It's state-of-the-art. It's advanced. And now with Pfizer behind it, they've got the legs. They've, they've got the backing. They've got the money. And what I like about Operation Warp Speed and how this works into it is it's a guarantee by the government that they're going to back the manufacturing process, assume all liability, so that when the science is done, and Pfizer is saying by September the science will be done, at the same time that the science is done, if we get through phase three trials, bang, you're going to be able to make 100 million doses because that part of it, the manufacturing part, will be done simultaneously. I'm very excited about this. I don't know if it will be the Pfizer candidate that emerges, but that's a very promising one. Do you have another one? I mean, people were talking about Oxford. There's something else you're keeping your eye on, uh, doctor, you could tell our audience? Well, you know, the Oxford one is older technology. That's tried and true, and that's been 
tried in primates already. It's been tried in England. It's going to start being tried in the United States. That now has the backing of AstraZeneca. That one is a pretty promising one. Moderna, which is the one that Tony Fauci is very excited about, is already entering phase two trials. Now, that's a small company. Phase two trials, by the way, means, Brian, that we've already proven it's safe. Now we're going to prove that it's effective. What's good about, uh, about Operation Warp Speed is a little company like Moderna benefits enormously from that because they're going to get the manufacturing backing that they wouldn't have otherwise got. So I like the Pfizer candidate. I like the Oxford candidate, mm-hmm. an older one, but, try, but looking, like, looking very promising. And then I like Moderna. All right, uh, real quick, the new coronavirus virus mutation. Right away I said, oh, my God. But then you read the story. They say it's mutating and getting weaker, and it reminds them of how SARS dissipated. Can you, can you unwind that as a medical professional? So they, so they looked, yes. Arizona State looked under the microscope, and they found some emerging form that's showing some deletions, which is called mutations. And it, and, they, and it looks like it's deleting and mutating in the direction of getting weaker. That's what happened with the SARS virus in 2003. That's why that died out. That's why that didn't take over the way this has started to become a huge scourge. Let me tell you something that's going to make your day, Brian. That's the way pandemic strains usually go. No one talks about that, but over time, they usually get weaker rather than stronger. And you know why? Because they want to survive. And the way to survive is to be able to jump from host to host, but not kill the host. If you kill the host, you're not going to infect as many people. Viruses know that. It's not an intelligence, but they're following the rules of nature. Pandemic viruses usually get weaker over time. Let's be hopeful that that's what happens here. And this mutation in the lab is the first sign of it. It's not proof yet. It's the beginning of something that could slow this down. Very interesting. And Dr. Siegel, the president's going to kind of fade out his... Uh, coronavirus task force. Uh, he feels he's at that point now. I know you're not a politician, but does that worry you? Not if the task force stays in place. I think he's got some very key members in there, very smart scientists. You know, you know all of them. Deborah Burks, Tony Fauci, the Department of Homeland Security is involved, HHS under Azar. I like the Redfield disease. I like the people that are on this task force. Let's hope he keeps it but keeps it more behind the scenes. Because when it's out front, and you know this, Brian, it's become a political football. Everybody attacking the task force rather than using the information that's getting out there to help fight the virus. I'm interested in medical reporting on this. The political reporting has been over the top. So maybe by turning the heat down a little, that will diminish. I hope, but I'm not exactly optimistic about that. But I think he's trying to decrease the amount of political attention on this. But, I mean, I know you like Tucker, but this was more fun. We covered more topics. I really tested your knowledge. I prepared for the segment. Please tell me that I am more fun than Tucker. You are fun. He's, t- he's a lot of fun, too. You're both fun. You're, you're, you're uh, among my no. favorites. How can I do that? <laughs> I love Thanks a lot, Dr. Love- Siegel. You helped us out a lot. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. 
This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. President of the United States, a former New Yorker who seems to enjoy stabbing his hometown in the back, talking about no bailout for New York. What kind of human being sees the suffering here and decides that people in New York City don't deserve help? What kind of person does that? Okay, is he the worst politician in the world? Here he is a liberal mayor without a positive track record, got reelected because no one ran against him, one, because there were so many people running originally, has done nothing, still working out, by the way, in his gym, while everyone else is not allowed to work out in gyms. He and the president have a form of detente, and they kind of compliment each other. And instead of keeping his powder dry and understanding the way Washington works, people give and take all the time, he takes his moment and he rips the president so he gets his national media moment after a miserable uh, run for the presidency. And now the president's going to eviscerate him. You just know it. He's going to walk right past him and go right to Cuomo. So you idiot, you just played your card on a Tuesday afternoon. What a, what a real knucklehead. President saying, I want to make sure we're not bailing you out because of the programs you committed to, because of the unions you may have lost uh, negotiations with. It's on the federal government to live up to that, even though these men and women do great jobs. A lot of times they're firefighters. A lot of times they're cops. That's not the deal the federal government cut. That's what he's saying. He's not walking away from you. Oh, my goodness. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. We're all seeking after weeks of dealing with this difficult virus and unprecedented crisis that is going on. And we see how our healthcare workers, first responders, are just in heroic things. We all need something to look forward to. We need something to come together. And so I agree with you on the hope. I agree with you on the optimism and looking forward and looking to the future. And I told that to these young players the other day when I was speaking to them is they're a big part of that in their communities. They are going to bring hope to their communities and to their teams. I think it's an important role for us right now in this environment. And that is Roger Goodell. Uh, you know, it's not too long ago when his league was being vilified and people were deciding to stay home. Now there's such a thirst for sports at any level. Biggest fan, smallest fan, people are casual fan. There's no, there's no sports. It's not like I miss football when they go on strike or baseball when they went on strike or the NBA went on strike or I need pro soccer in America or I love the international game. I don't want to get up early. Now there's nothing. There's nobody to dislike. There's no one to like. There's no one to follow. And I think there was such a thirst for sports and it was shown with the, with the ratings on the draft. Uh, he had fun with being booed and the Zoom and everything like that and being in his man, uh, man cave. I think there's going to be a reconfiguring of the entire relationship. I think the athletes is going to, are going to appreciate the media. I think uh, the media are going to appreciate the athletes. I think the fans are going to feel appreciated from the athletes that they never have before. And I even think Philadelphia fans will find a way to cheer. That's how optimistic I am about the recalibration of sports in America. However, I do think that sports has to be proactive and coming up a way for us to go to the games, watch the games. They're going back with NASCAR next weekend, right? Going back with NASCAR next weekend. Baseball's talking about late June, July. 
Uh, hockey's talking about four sites where they play. What you got to do is you got to call up the media who are dying to cover this. Sports media's been sitting on their hands, and you got to say, hey, um, you know, meet me at this arena. I'm going to show you what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you the entrances we're going to have. I'm going to show you why we're going to do every five seats, how we're working with Ticketron or Ticketmaster to make it work. I'm going to tell you what we're doing at the snack stands to make it uh, workable or have the people come right to you with all delivery service, which might mean hiring even more people, more food. And then all of a sudden, the media starts talking. They start selling it on their news, and then people start saying, you know, you know, maybe I am going to go to a game. But right now, people are getting bad news all the time. The numbers are growing. The death rates are increasing. Uh, the, the cities aren't opening quick enough in many cases. And that's why you get these disturbing news, uh, disturbing stories, where 78% of people say they don't want to go to gyms if they open up. 74% say they're not going to go to restaurants when they open up. But 56% say they will go to food stores. Why? Because they've been told they can go to food stores, and they didn't get sick. They see how it works and they go. They go to doctors. They go to telemedicine. They want to do it. Now they realize it's effective. Doctors didn't want to do it. Now they realize it can be pretty effective on on so many things. Save people time, gas, energy, get more appointments in. So that's why this is uh, so disturbing when I saw the Washington Post poll. And I think that the more you do what the Dolphins did, the Dolphins said, I'm selling 16,000 tickets to start off, and I'm going to put them in color-coded areas. I'm going to give arrival times for people. Guess what? They're going to adhere to it. They're going to tell them what entrance to come in. You're going to be color-coded on the ticket. And then you got to go out like you leave church. These are some of the ideas that Dolphins are saying, I want you to go to the games. Look, uh, they got Tua. They got a reason to go. They finished as strong as anybody at the end of the year. They had a ton of draft picks this year. They got a hot coach. They have not been a sellout in a long time. They have not been a strong team in forever. And they want to play. Tampa, you want to play. You got Tom Brady and company. Find a way. Tell me how to do it. They've hosted Super Bowls before. You've been hyper-organized. You could do it again. You have actually host Super Bowls all the time. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. So I'm going to be taking some calls, find out uh, more to know. Uh, we're also looking to get uh, Tiki Barber back in the line to talk about this topic while he scrambled to get him. Let me tell you what else is, uh, let me tell you what else is going on, and that is the president's going to be dismantling his uh, tax force. Uh, that's pretty big news. He's getting criticism uh, from a whistleblower. Join the club. There's always people embedded in there. I, d- I doubt it that this person was ignored when the president and vice president doesn't even know their name. Maybe they feel as though their ideas or their warning wasn't taken, it was taken for granted. Well, you got Dr. Burke and Dr. Fauci who said it wasn't necessarily going to be a problem. When they asked him to shut down, he did. So right now, as our states run out of the eight week of, fir- of PPP funding, and the second one in eight weeks, they got about two weeks left. The second wave of funding just comes out this week, so you got eight weeks left. People are scrambling to say, is there another rescue package on the way? Here's what Mitch McConnell said. Cut seven. Our country has to go back to being our country again. You have people that are not going to stay. I'm sorry. We'll continue to discuss with the administration the way forward. Many people are asking for additional legislation. I think I can speak for our conference by saying we're not ruling that out, but we think but to take a pause here, do a good job of evaluating what we've already done. So uh, he wants to pause, but he is saying now liability insurance has to be figured in. Fine. Uh, now the government, the states go, we just want money. We don't want you to tell us what to do it. I don't think that's going to be possible. The president says, I want a payroll tax holiday. 
Uh, I think some Republicans are on board with that, but I imagine it could possibly be effective. So Governor Cuomo hears that the president is not in uh, to giving blue states bailout money to pay out pension plans and tax bases uh, or uh, tax bases and make up for the fact that people are leaving Chicago, people are leaving New York, people are leaving California because the taxes are too high. Cut 28. The president gave an interview, as reported in the New York Post, blue state coronavirus bailouts are unfair to Republicans. And the Republicans are saying, we don't want to give money to the blue states. First of all, this is not a blue state issue. Every state has coronavirus cases. It's not just Democratic states that have an economic shortfall. Republican states have an economic shortfall. True. You notice he's not swinging for the fences like he was. But what I think they're going to say is, you know, you got to pay your cops and firefighters. I'll help you with that. You got to pay your sanitation. I'll help you with that. Uh, Don't make me bail out your pension funds. Senator John Kennedy heard Governor Cuomo today, yesterday, cut 29. I think what the the, uh, Governor Cuomo forgets is how much money we've given the states already. My state has received about two and a half billion dollars already. Uh, I don't know how many billions uh, New York has received. Um, That may not be as much as the governor wants, but it's not chopped liver either. Funny. Senator John Kennedy, uh, like New York governor, could have been a lot worse. A lot of the stuff that the Army Corps of Engineers came and built, they didn't need, thankfully. But you got to wonder, too, you know, you're complaining, John Bell Edwards, you're complaining, Governor Cuomo. The federal government does answer and you got to take it down. We spent a lot of money for that. He does listen. And he is making sure, you know, he, he does want to make sure that we, as much as we're spending in our debt, we're in the red, we're on overdraft, you don't want to overdo it, even though their hope is that eventually we'll pay it all back. President trying to stand up the economy. Are you ready? I'll take those calls, one 408 We'll do that when we get back. Maybe reach out to Tiki or just schedule them for another day. Brian Kilmeade Show. Honest commentary, unique opinions, no agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Do you view this uh, as a closed issue or what is your response? Well, it is for me. Uh, I have said I am proud to support Joe Biden for president. Uh, I believe him when he says it didn't happen. Uh, But I also believe him when he says let them uh, look into the records. Uh, And that's what they should do. But I'm not going to answer this question again. I I will just say I have every confidence uh, that Joe Biden will be a great president of the United States. Wouldn't it be great every time there's a controversy in your life? I'm going to answer it once. I'm not going to answer it again. Why doesn't the president bring that up? Don't bring up the pandemic. Listen, I answered it once already. Don't like it. Any other questions related to maybe my reelection and the big crowds I'm going to have? Can we stop talking about the Ukraine? The whole impeachment thing. Why didn't the president around Christmas say, I'm not talking about the impeachment again? I answered it once. Didn't do anything wrong. Perfect phone call. Oh, yeah. The Russia. Nothing happened there. Hoax. Not answering it again. She's Speaker of the House. You know, it's not up to you not to get that question again. When you're Speaker of the House, all women should be believed in the middle of the Me Too movement. And a woman, Tara Reid, who I don't know, I have no idea if what she's telling the truth or not. 
but it's not up to you to decide not to answer that again. That's like being in the middle of a home run race in sports, and they go, yeah, I just don't want to talk about the long ball. Sorry, the number one story is the long ball. Look, it shouldn't be dominating any conversation, especially on MSNBC. But that was a perfectly legitimate question. She believes him. Maybe the follow-up would be, why? What makes you believe him? Do you, could you tell that Al Franken was doing what he was doing? Can you tell past Democrats, uh, Bill Clinton? Did you believe Bill Clinton right away? How does that compare to Joe Biden? Because there's a lot of footage of Joe Biden doing uh, the touchy-feely thing that almost destroyed his campaign before it, uh, before it actually got on track. one 408 7669 Let's go out to Mike listening online at West Palm Beach. Hey, Mike. Hey, how you doing there today? Thanks for taking my call. Good. What's, what's um, your life like in West Palm? Um, hasn't been too bad. We've been working right along. Um, kind of an essential business. Um, and uh, keeping our distances and keeping our customers outside, not letting them in the, in the showroom. And uh, we've been able to keep going. All right, good. So uh, can you go to a restaurant? No, we have a dealership. We sell, um, we sell equipment trailers to businesses and contractors and landscapers and stuff like that. All right. So what's on your mind? Um, but the only thing that's bothered me is I have not seen anybody talk about or anything done with any of the credit card companies. They're not there. As far as I know, they're not lowering their interest rates at all to people. And they're collecting an enormous amount of money from people. And while everybody else is giving everybody a break to help out, they're keeping their interest rates right where they're at and charging everybody absorbent amounts of money for their, the debt that they owe on their credit cards. And credit cards backed up by banks. And you're right. And I'll bring that up. Uh, I will bring that up. I should have brought that up um, uh, with Kevin Brady today on Ways and Means. And, I've, and I had uh, Senator Rubio on, too. He'd be the type of person that I would bring that up with. So I will look into that for you because I do want to stay on top of everyone's uh, daily lives and the challenges. For example, you know, AOC saying, let's give everyone a rent holiday. That's fine. Well, the people that own the building have to get the banks to give them a holiday. Because the people that own buildings aren't bad people. They go into debt and take out loans from banks who believe in them that they're going to be able to make payments. And then comes a pandemic and they can't. So if the banks can back off, the landlords can back off, and the people can get a break, but they're all connected. So I hope people do the connection. That's my hope. Uh, Dan lives on WTRC in Elkhart, Indiana. Hey, Dan. Hey, Brian. How are you? Good, good. Good. Hey, hey. Uh, first of all, Elkhart loves you. Elkhart County loves you. And uh, so appreciate the show. We appreciate the truth you put out every day. Just want to talk quickly about a couple of points. First of all, no one in their right mind who has any common sense would encourage anybody to stay in a dysfunctional relationship. And basically, that's where we've become with this whole China thing. And it's about time. I mean, President Trump called out, has called out China, and it's it's completely dysfunctional. So, so the people that are uh, keeping their mouths quiet or don't want to criticize China at all, they didn't realize we're in a dysfunctional relationship. It's toxic. It's not healthy for the United States to be in the relationship we're in with China. And the problem is, the, it's just like any other relationship. Sometimes people are in abusive relationships and they can't get out because they're too knee-deep in the hoopla. So it's time to you know back out. I'm not saying we could do it 100% tomorrow, but this is a lesson well-learned. And this is the first right. time we were gone through anything like this in our entire lifetime. We're never going to experience it again. At least we hope not. Now put it this way. Uh, 
Uh, the average person listening to us right now or doesn't watch FBN or CNBC on a regular basis is not really involved in manufacturing. You know, they, they, how much is that shirt? You know, how much are these pants? How much is that car? And they say, okay, it's Chevy, it's American, but it's made in Mexico. We started, okay, this is made in China, and Toyota uh, build their cars here. We kind of somewhat know what's going on. But when we get hit with this crisis, and China says, even though we paid for the drugs and we build the drugs over there, they might not give us our own drugs. When we have to buy PPE from American companies that happen to have manufacturing located in China, that brought this issue home and for everyone, not just people on aircraft carriers, in the Navy, but it brought the issue home. Not people that were invested in the TPP, no one gets involved in free trade agreements, the average American, but we like the cheaper goods. But a lot of the stuff is crap. And the, a lot of the stuff that they sent us, the medical stuff, is crap. California wrote a billion dollar check to China for PPE, and their governor won't even talk about it. This is the type of stuff that we should hold our politicians accountable for. But as consumers, we have to be willing to pay more. Senator Tom Cotton, on where we're going now with the relationship as well as this virus. Last night, Cut 26. We should be exploring every avenue that's available and that is prudent and that will protect the American people from ever having this kind of pandemic unleashed on the world again from China. It's not the first time one of these outbreaks have originated in China and recouping the losses that we have suffered so badly over these last several months. We can't bring those lives back, but we can help make some of those families whole. We can get jobs back. We can bring businesses back from China. We can ensure that China never again has this kind of leverage over us and that they have no chance to achieve their long-term ambition of replacing the United States as the world's preeminent power. Tom Cotton's been saying this from day one. Guy wants to be president soon. He's on the fast track with his political career, his military career, his academic career. Um, So he uh, has made a lot of sense through all this. He's a guy you look to. As much as a politician, he really is a bottom line guy. And if there was some hardliners on the left, he'd be standing shoulder to shoulder to him when it comes to the military. Uh, Let's go out to Gerard. Let's on WRCN on Long Island. Hey, Gerard. Hey, Brian. How are you, buddy? I, I got Good. a bone to pick with you. I don't know if um, okay. you're against the bailout for the pensions in New York, but I'm a 22-year police officer. I put my life on the line, been shot at, almost died in 9-11. I got lung disease from 9-11, and now you're saying they shouldn't bail us out? I'm the person that put my life on the line. All these nurses and doctors are doing their damn job, and they're not going to get sick, most of them. Most of my friends are dead from cancer or died in that building, whether it's us or the firemen or the EMTs. So I'm, I'm appalled that you would say, don't bail out the pension people. I would have to go on welfare if it not was for my pension. They have an option. They have the same option as California. They could take a loan from the federal government to pay the pensions. And what they should do is treat every state, even though I'm in New York and on Long Island, treat every state the same. And a lot of these governors have jacked up taxes and jacked up social programs despite telling they could not balance their budget unless they jacked up more taxes. So they get in this circuitous thing where people have decided to leave this state in particular and go to Florida. And now if you use this crisis to bail yourselves out of, of deals that you did not sign off on the federal government, that's an issue. The, federal, the state government has to come up with a way with the pensions. I don't think it's up to the federal government 
to bail out state government when it comes to pensions because they are not the one consulted when they signed on to it. If you ask me, uh, cops and firefighters deserve every, every penny they have coming to them. But if you ask me who's responsible, I say it's Cuomo. I don't think it's Trump. But thanks for the call and thanks for what you did. All right, watch out, Numbered. I'll be on television shortly. Pick up to Sam, Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers. It comes out on paperback on Tuesday. Brand new information. What Lincoln asked of Sam Houston. I think you'll really like it. And keep it here, everybody. Stay safe. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.